This is Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Ashley Thornburg, and today is Halloween. Happy Halloween. Certainly a greeting that we hear a lot, but we are going to dive into is Halloween all happy all the time? What does it mean that we spend so much money and time on these costumes to be someone or something else for just one day? Or what does it mean for those people who spend the whole month (laughs) being something or someone else? Why do we love a good scare? And what sorts of costumes can pay tribute to another culture? And when do they objectify a different culture? Joining me now is Dr. Jack Russell Weinstein, a Chester Fritz Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at the University of North Dakota. Jack, thanks for joining us today. I'm happy to be here, and I haven't yet gotten into the Halloween candy, so I'm not going to be speaking a thousand. <laughs> oh, I don't miles know that we will and, even get to the candy part of this conversation. <laughs> well, I'll start with what are you going to be for Halloween? You know, I haven't decided. Uh, I don't have a lot of costumes. My favorite costume, sadly, no longer fits me. It's this 1970s orange corduroy suit that my father bought you know when he was uh super skinny (laughs) and um and i wore it a few times and it just it felt great it looked ridiculous (laughs) and um i i I had like an afro wig uh in the you know the sort of the jewish afro thing and Mm. um and it looked wonderful but i cannot fit into it at (laughs) all I think it was sort of the opposite of the sexy nurse. It was like, you know, take away any appeal that I might have for any other person. <laughs> well, you have hit on a lot of words in just that answer that I think uh, deserve some talking points here. This idea of, of a sexy nurse and also this idea of feeling great but looking ridiculous and, and you know, why we sort of delight in that. So let's start with that Looking ridiculous. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts, Jack, on on the kinds of costumes? What does it say about the people who just who who want to be like an inflatable Tyrannosaurus Rex or like a giant banana or or something where you can just be goofy? I think that there are a lot of different factors that people calculate in their head about costumes. Some of that is what they want and some of that is what they don't want. So Mm. a lot of people who dress in the ridiculous costumes are doing it intentionally to sort of counter that sexy nurse uh, narrative to say it isn't about that, it's about this. Also, people like to get attention. People like to get approval. And that kind of humorous approval, that kind of uh, over-the-topness, that kind of silliness is a great feeling. I, I was telling my students recently that getting an entire class to laugh at a joke is one of the great feelings in the world. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite things. And so if you have a costume that someone walks up to you and says, oh my God, that's so great. Oh, that's so funny. And people are pointing and talking about it and laughing. It makes you feel good. It's a kind of approval. And also there is this element of creativity. This is this element of people who love to make costumes, who have Mm -hmm. challenges. 
you know, who think about it for a very, very long time. My daughter was R2-D2 once, uh, and, and my wife made this amazing costume. And when she was five years old, she wanted to be pink Chewbacca. Mm. And Kim made, I could, you know, I'll, I could share the pictures. It was the most adorable thing in the world. Kim made a pink Chewbacca costume, and she was amazingly cute, and it was an awesome costume. So all of these things are meaning meanings and messages that we transmit to our audience about who we are and how we want to be approved of. There is a fascinating episode of This American Life about a terribly shy person who ends up as the school mascot. <laughs> yes, I remember this. Yeah, and, and as yeah. the mascot, and I can't even remember now if it's a young man or a young woman, but just rolls around being silly, uh, you know, very seemingly extroverted and outgoing, but then, you know, mask comes off and goes right back to that very shy person. And quite famously, Dame Judi Dench is, I mean, she is a movie star (laughs) Uh, and also, you know, a, a star on stage, but she has said that she's actually quite shy naturally. Um, Jack, this there is this idea that a mask can sort of magically make you something that you're not, or, or maybe you are, but is is really kind of hidden. It's not just masks, actually. In foreign language pedagogy and teaching, the new best practice is the first thing they do is they give the students a new name, a Spanish name or a French name or whatever. And it's very, very liberating. Again, my daughter, she's been going to German language camp for 11 years. And she's not Adina at the camp. She's Tanya. And Tanya is game. <laughs> Tanya will get on stage and she'll play the ukulele. Tanya will lead people in song. Tanya will do those things. Adina will not. Adina doesn't like that kind of attention. So there's something about stepping outside of yourself that gives you the chance to play as someone else without the consequences. There's Mm. something about it that says, you know, when Dame Judi Dench is is playing um, M in Bond, she can be tough. She can be loud. She can be in charge. And no one's going to blame her. No one's going to accuse her of being whatever it is people accuse people of being. This is the same thing with costumes. If you are a giant gorilla, then when you jump around and sort of push people around <laughs> and, 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 you know, hang out on the furniture, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? You're, you're, you're being a giant gorilla. If you're a Pac-Man, right, because I'm an 80s guy, right? If you're a Pac-Man and you're chasing people around the party laughing, they're going to laugh as opposed to if you're just some dude and you're chasing <laughs> people around them, you know, you're going to get arrested, right? So, so part of what costumes do is liberate people from the limitations that society puts on them and what they put on themselves because everyone knows you're playing a role and they want you to play the role well. They Mm. want you to play it authentically because it's disappointing to see a giant banana sitting on a couch. It's exciting (laughs) to see a giant banana trying to trip people, right? Right, yeah. Uh, You know, you said Tanya is game to do these things that Adina isn't, and therefore, you know, she can 
act without consequence. Uh, the dangerous side of that uh, is sort of reminiscent of the anonymity of internet comments. So how do we navigate, Jack, this liberation without just being a jerk? <laughs> so this is a really serious and interesting question, and it's one I pose to my students a lot, but in a slightly different way. You remember back when MySpace was a thing. I do. Everyone I'm could that be anonymous. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, uh, everyone could be anonymous, and people acted a certain way anonymously. And there are other uh, social networks that that have this yik yak and other such things. When Facebook came along, you had to identify yourself. You had to identify your name, your face, and you connected with people you knew. And I always ask my students, which is the real you? Is it the you yeah. that acts when no one is watching and there are no consequences? Or is it the you who acts uh, in the face of social expectations where people are going to point to and record and remember the things that you do? And I think that costumes are that halfway point between those two things because you're not anonymous i mean there certainly are times when you can be yeah. but you're not anonymous you're playing a different part and so there are still social expectations and if you burn down the house people are going to know it's you and if you violate other people's boundaries people are still going to know that it's you but it's a larger playground and so there is something about right Many, many, many people like roller coasters. Many, many, many people like, um, let's say, bungee jumping or something like that. But it's much better if there's a net underneath, right? So that if you can enjoy the thrill of it and yet you're not going to die. And I think that's the same thing. I think that someone who's really into their costume is going through a negotiation. How far can I push? Okay, no one bo was bothered with this. Let me push it a little further. Okay, no one was bothered with this. Let me push it a little further. And the best experiences are the ones where we learn things about ourselves from those costumes and then can integrate it into our daily lives, mm. right? Then we can say, uh, I tried this out and I liked it, so maybe it can be a part of me. And I actually think that the more sexualized costumes in particular are elements of that, are elements of fantasies and desires and insecurities that people are permitted to play with a little more on Halloween so that when they're done with, maybe they can partner or maybe, and they learn something. So. I think costume wearing and being someone else for a day isn't just a performance for others. I think it's a form of inquiry for ourselves mm. because it really allows us to see ourselves through a different lens and a different and and practice things we might not want to practice <laughs> in our normal circumstance. Are you telling me you're going to be sexy Mr. Rogers for Halloween now? Because that's a <laughs> well, real costume. <laughs> that is, you know, <laughs> the, there is sexy everything, Every, right? There's I mean, sexy there's, pizza rat, remember that? Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I'm a, it's crazy. There's, 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 there's you know, there's, uh, there should be a you know a sexy um, Prairie Public logo. I'd like to oh see boy. that. <laughs> but but here's the thing, um, Dan Savage, the the famous sex columnist. Mm -hmm. uh, when people say write in or say to him, you know, how come there's gay pride but there's no straight pride? His answer is, oh, there is. Halloween is straight pride. <laughs> Halloween is the opportunity for a lot of adults who wouldn't otherwise do so 
to act out sexually, to put their sexuality on the table, to be objects of desire and lust, to be in charge when they're usually passive, to be dominant when they're usually um, submissive, to be uh, exhibitionist, when, you know, whatever it is, or to be the opposite, right? To, to, to have something that calls attention to something other than what they're saying. I don't know, you know, whatever it is, right? So our society, and I've talked about this before, our society has gone through a second sexual revolution that people really aren't talking about. We've gone through the digital sexual revolution. And a lot of our sexuality is now mediated by devices, mediated by cameras, mediated by keyboards, mediated by phones. And the costume is another form of mediation, but it's a social mediation in the presence of other people. So if you imagine yourself, uh, you know, I had a friend in high school who was a bodybuilder. And every year uh, for Halloween, he would dress up as Conan the Barbarian, which was basically, you know, him wearing bathing suits <laughs> suits and nothing else. Right. Because he wanted people to see his body, but he knew that he couldn't walk around, you know, high school with everyone looking at his body. <laughs> uh, you know, so this this sexual experimentation and the just the 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 being so open about it during the day is a response to the combination of a very permissive culture as, that mixes with a very puritanical culture we mm. let people do the most amazing things uh with the consent of others but there's still a guilt and shame about it. There's still things that that, that people will talk about or that or that they'll carry with them and they'll be embarrassed. The costume is a way of saying, I am practicing this. I want to do this. It's for fun. I would never do this if it were just me. So cut me some slack and maybe play along. And for some people, that can be tremendously therapeutic because it allows them to express a part of them that they that they have worked incredibly hard to, to contain. Yeah, it, it's an exploration, it sounds like, Jack, of um, boundaries and an exploration of your sense of self. Absolutely. And that, too, is one of the great philosophical themes, right? Where does the self end? On the one hand, mm -hmm. we're physically separate, right? And the, uh, my, I end where my body ends. But on the other hand, we are who we are because of our relationships, because of the things we're taught, because how we imagine our partners to be and how they imagine us. If I'm telling my biography, if, if everyone wants to know the story of Jack, I first have to tell the story of my parents, right? I have to tell where they came from and how they raised me. But in order to really explain my parents, I have to explain their parents. And in order to explain their parents, I have to explain, you know, Eastern Europe and the history of immigration and all that sort of stuff. But in order to do that, I have to tell the history of the world. And so in order to explain one person, you have to explain everybody. But in order to explain everybody, you have to explain one person. That's it's it's what philosophers call the problem of the one and the many. And so it's the same thing about boundaries. On the one hand, your boundaries are yourself and your identity and your self image is contained. But in another sense, everything about you, both physically and mentally and psychologically, uh, is a response to other people is a response to social expectations, whether you are regarded attractive or not, is based on 
social norms, is based on economic factors, is based on who you you're, you happen to be with. One of my favorite cartoons that I saw on the internet was some person is looking in the mirror and saying, uh, I'm so ugly, I don't know why anyone is attracted to me. And a person in the background says, you're not ugly, you're just not your type. And I thought that that was brilliant, right? Because you might not be attracted to you, but someone else is. And this is what costumes do. Costumes say, hey, look at me as someone different so I can see how you react to that so I can learn how I react to that. So do you see costumes, Jack, uh, particularly the very sexualized costumes, as, as a good thing in that it's an exploration of these boundaries and your sense of self and how the, the nature of you know, who you are and what that means is malleable? Or, or do you kind of see it as, okay, obviously there's something you need to work on, like you're a little bit over-repressed? Well, first of all, I am a very sex positive person and, and I'm not judgmental and those things don't make me uncomfortable. And and, and so as a sort of personality trait, uh, there's nothing about that, that that I see negative. But I actually think that the um, distinction isn't about wh- how you want to explore versus um, this uh, having to work on it. I actually think it's what you want to explore versus social pressure. Because there are a lot of people, especially younger women, who are pressured into the sexy costume, who are expected to eroticize themselves even if they don't want to. Uh, the 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 movie um, Mean Girls mm-hmm. has a whole sort of theme about this, where the main character is, had been growing up in Africa and then came come to this public school, and she says no one told her that that Halloween was you know be slut for a night, yeah. and the incredible pressure that particularly young women feel to expose their body to be uh, sexual entertainment for men or for other people, that's tremendously dangerous and that's unfair. Everyone should have the opportunity to explore how they want to explore, when they want to explore, and not be bound by the social expectations that may often be very, very unhealthy. So I don't necessarily think that a costume is a revelation of what you should be talking to your therapist about. I mean, that (laughs) happens, that happens, but I don't think that's the issue. I think a costume is the tension between your inner desire and your sense of fun versus social expectations and how you respond to peer pressure, either negatively or positively, because some people wear costumes because they're completely immune to peer pressure and they're going to wear what they want to wear no matter what. And other people wear costumes precisely because they're incredibly concerned about how people will judge them one way or the other. And that's the negotiation that concerns me Mm. the most. Yeah. So, Jack, when do you see over-sexualized costumes or maybe just sexualized in general as marginalization of women? Again, it is a, to a certain extent, it's about social expectations, but it's also the idea that our bodies are somehow separate from us. Our bodies are somehow separate from our personality. 
The sexualization of women is complicated because especially now there is the pressure for them to perform their sexuality for men, right? Girls are supposed to kiss each other at a party in order to titillate the men. Girls are supposed to dress this way to titillate people because if they don't, they're a prude or something like that. I think the question, and this is a hard negotiation for someone, I think the question is, are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for someone else? Is your body connected to your personality in the costume? Can you be a full human being in the costume or are you just a walking mannequin? And is it something that makes you feel stronger, something that makes you feel better and more whole or is it something that makes you feel less that makes you feel exploited now, i don't mean you can't feel nervous i don't mean that you can't feel excited and, and and trepidation at the same time that's part of the fun walking right to that edge but if what you're doing feels like you're doing it for someone else without any satisfaction and it makes you a smaller rather than a bigger person then that's a problem because then your body is being exploited for its objectness as opposed to its subjectness. You are an object, not a subject. It sounds a little like a variation on the question of, you know, where does the self end or, or where does Tanya begin and where does Adina end? Uh, because it, it could be sort of hard to draw that line of, am I doing this for myself versus am I doing this for someone else? Because humans, there's no individual that really exists in a vacuum. That's right. These are the, these are the hardest questions in the world, right? The nature-nurture question is a part of that. How much is inborn in us and how much is culture? There are constantly things that we do for our partners or for our kids or for friends that we don't necessarily want to do. And there are constantly things that we're working on that, that make us feel inadequate at times. So all of that's normal. What you have to do is you have to be self-aware of how much is too far? When do you start feeling uncomfortable? And what is acceptable in the group that you're in? If you are going to uh, a school function, uh, you know, if uh, the high school costume party, you're not going to wear something over-sexualized because that's inappropriate. If you're at your employer's costume party, there's a certain level of professionalism. Mm. If you are at a friend's house, if you're at a bar, if you're someplace else, then you have different latitude, right? So again, the self is identity and context. And even though we have our limits and have our boundaries and have our private thoughts, part of what tells us what's appropriate is what we see around us and our social expectations. So someone who comes to the office party in a Conan costume or a skimpy bikini, they're not going to be able to see that as someone different. They're going to see someone who has poor judgment mm -hmm. and that's going to affect their work life. Instead, someone who goes to a bar, you know, who let's say the standard example of the doctor who is on shift and then goes to the bar and they're wearing their scrubs and everyone says, oh, what are you? And they say, I'm a doctor who just came from the hospital. Those people are just lame, right? <laughs> Those people aren't making an effort. And so what you want to do is you want to make an effort. You want to show that you put some thought into it, make sure that it is 
appropriate for the context and also make sure that it's part of you, but that you cared enough about the event that you were willing to get out of your daily life. That's the other part of it. How do you negotiate being over the top with being lame? You want to find that median. You want to find that midpoint. Dr. Jack Russell Weinstein is a philosopher at the University of North Dakota, and once a month he joins us for Philosophical Currents. And since today is Halloween, we are exploring the many philosophical questions that can surround our choice of costumes. And Jack, we spent uh, several minutes talking about sexualized costumes, and so much of the conversation now in, in what's being referred to as a post-row world is on this idea of bodily autonomy. But we can't talk about bodily autonomy, Jack, without recognizing how much of the history of this country is built on taking autonomy away from the slaves and from the indigenous peoples of this area. So, Jack, help people to understand how you can kind of draw a line between why we are still talking about sexy costumes and what that could have to do with cultural appropriation, which is another conversation starter around Halloween. Why shouldn't a white person be a sexy Indian princess? I want to take a step back first to say something that I should have said before the news, which is that there is a tremendous tension in contemporary feminism between the older generation of feminists and the younger generation of feminists about body autonomy. Because the older generation of feminists see any sexualization of women and sex work and sexy costumes as a violation of feminist principles. They think that women have been so sexualized that adopting that perspective is anti-women. And that it's the woman's job, it's a feminist job to, to, to really tamp that down. The younger generation sees taking control of their own sexuality as a feminist issue. Sex work is, is, it can be pro-feminist because women are in charge of their own body. And if they want to sell their body, they can. And they deserve respect. And if they want to wear sexy outfits, they can. They just have to be treated with respect. There is this division in the culture that we're still negotiating. And I think that's also what's happening with cultural appropriation. I think that that's also happening with this idea of the phrase is, you know, my culture is not your costume, right, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that people use. Because the, the, I'm not a huge fan of, of the phrase cultural appropriation because I certainly think that a lot of it has gone too far. Th this idea that only black people can have certain haircuts, that um, only, uh, let's say, Middle Eastern women can belly dance, right? There are lots of people who think that, and I think that that's wrong and, and a little silly in part because human cultural growth comes from uh, mixing, right? Comes from learning from other cultures, comes from, in, uh, I, I, as I have said many times on this show, I'm not a fan of segregation. At the same time, there is this tremendous history that you talk about that is exploited. And if someone wears blackface or if someone dresses up as, you know, an Indian squaw, I don't even know if that's the proper term anymore. If someone crosses a certain line, then the culture is finding that unacceptable. 
Let me give you another example. I was just teaching part of Huckleberry Finn in my class on Tuesday, reading this essay called The Conscience of Huckleberry Finn, which is one of my all-time favorite uh, essays on ethics. And in the process, I'm the article talks about how Huckleberry Finn, when he's freeing Jim the slave, he actually feels guilty. He feels like he's a coward. He feels like he's stealing someone's property because Miss Watson has been so nice to him. And in the process of talking about Jim, he uses the N-word. And because it's Huckleberry Finn and it's supposed to be accurate. Now, I, for years and years, would use the N word in class when I was talking about this sort of thing, because I think it's important. I think it brings the abrasiveness. I think that uh, that shock value helps a more authentic reading of Huckleberry Finn. But in the last four or five years, I've stopped using it and I start saying the N word, even when I'm reading it on the paper, because culture has changed. And because the students collectively, that generation has collectively decided it's wrong to do that. And so the very first thing I have to say, which isn't as strongly a philosophical answer as you're looking for is you have to respect the new cultural norms, even if you don't agree with them. You can challenge them, you can write about them, you can have conversations about them. But right now, we as a culture have agreed that exploiting oppression, blackface, dressing up as a Native American, as a, as a cartoon character, something like that, that's, that's unacceptable. And you need to respect that if for no other reason, then you don't want to spend your life getting hassled, right? You don't want anyone to yell at you. You don't want anyone to, to, to start a fight. You don't want to end up the latest internet sensation. There's also the sense that part of what these costumes are is being someone else. And if you dress up like a slave, there's no way for you to experience being a slave, you're not a slave. You're a white person or an Asian person or someone else dressed as a slave. If you want to experience what it is to be a slave, you have to be beaten. You have to have your your life taken away. You have to have your kids taken away. You have to be sexually assaulted. That's what dressing up like a slave is. And when actors play slaves in movies, that's what they're supposed to reproduce. So if you're dressing up as Pac-Man, you don't have the weight of tradition and history following you. But if you are dressed as a Native American and you can't internalize the pain and difficulty and alienation that people feel, then you're not dressed up as a Native American. You're dressed up as a two-dimensional cartoon character of a Native American. So the costume is really a shorthand for what does it mean to respect other people's experiences and what does it mean to acknowledge their pain? I think the costumes erase that pain and I think that it, 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 it runs against the spirit of experimentation because it makes us learn less rather than more. Can you acknowledge pain without it just being a way to sort of assuage what's called white guilt? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I don't think I don't think my students should feel bad about slavery. Uh, years ago, I was engaged to a German woman, <laughs> sort of briefly, and uh, and I brought her home. And my grandmother, uh, who was of the age of World War II, was really upset. And my mother said to her, um, how old is this girl? She said, you know, 25 years old. 
And my mom said, when was the war? And she said, 40 years old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my mother said, what does she have to do with it? And my grandmother said nothing. And then my mother said the strategic thing. She said, besides, if you want to have a relationship with your grandson, you're going to have to learn to live with this girl. And both of those things are right. Where we have to enter the conversation, where we have to have personal responsibility is to recognize that the legacy of these things affect us, that there is this sense that white people are in general safer around police officers. White people are in general safer in in lots of circumstances. White people do have opportunities that African-Americans don't have. We can call that white privilege, although I think that that's a problematic term because it alienates more people than it brings in. But that's legitimately about human beings. You, you can learn about someone without feeling responsible for the crimes against them, what we have to do is we have to listen, we have to imagine, we have to figure out what we can hold ourselves accountable for and what we can't. And, and the very short version of, of how I would answer that question is we are not responsible for the past, but we are responsible for the future. So we can't go back in time and change what has happened, but we can look at the imperfections of our world and try to fix it. Because if we don't do that, then we are responsible for someone else's past who is going to live one or two generations down the line. Well, that is a deeply fascinating look at Halloween. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Jack Russell Weinstein, Chester Fritz Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at the University of North Dakota. My pleasure as always. Still to come on Main Street, getting ready for those midterm elections.